one thing that I really hope that people can remember me whenever they feel unsure, they feel that they need a boost of bravery and encouragement. I can be a person that they feel like, okay, she did that, so can I. I want to be that. I want to be remembered like that. I want to be a dose of encouragement for other people. And I think also I want to spread kindness. I want to spread, you know, this way of thinking that we can always create a safe space for each other. We can always suspend judgment, which is a mover's rule. <laughs>、um, always suspend our judgment, and we can always. You know, at one point of time, let go of our personal insecurity, our personal negative feeling, and focus on a greater cause. Focus more on how we can contribute to other people. Hello everyone. My name is Din Long, and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker, and hopefully, you can take away some insights for your own journey. In today's episode, you'll be meeting Linka, an amazing human being who is a community builder, an entrepreneur, a mentor, a facilitator, and even a cheerleader for so many young changemakers in Asia Pacific. She will share with us her long journey transitioning from English and Chinese translation to supporting young social entrepreneurs and innovators all around Asia Pacific. Ni hao, Linka. Bonjour, Ding Long. Super happy to have you for the first episode of Lifeline.、Uh, you are my friend, you are my colleague, and you are much more than friend and colleague. And for the small story, so I met Linka in Hong Kong like a few years ago when she was still working in this super cool social enterprise. I'm sure she's going to speak about it later. And yeah, I think she was cold, so I, I, I gave her my big、uh, winter jacket, and then from that we started to be friends. And now I'm Linka's colleague, so yeah, she's sitting next to me in Bangkok. And yeah, super happy to have her. She's so inspiring. She's inspiring so many people all over Asia Pacific. So I hope to bring her wisdom to <laughs> even more people. So yeah, Linka, I know that with our work we need to introduce ourselves, <laughs> like. Five times a day, and you always try to adapt the way you introduce yourself with the people or group of people you are talking to. So now I have a challenge for you: is how would you introduce yourself for an invisible audience? Wow. Okay. Challenge accepted.、Um, so yeah, I think the way that I always try to adapt myself to introduce different group of people,、um, usually based on you know the countries they're from, some of the information that already share with me, so I can try to find the similarities I would have with them. So because I think that whenever I meet a new person, the only thing that comes into my head is I how. Can I shorten the distance between this person and me? How can I make this person feel comfortable around me at the shortest time possible? So I don't know.、Um, whoever is listening to this,、um, hello there. My name is Linka. I'm from an island between the Strait of Mainland China and Taiwan. So if you can draw a visual map in your head, there's an island, and it's a swimmable distance to the territory of Taiwan. So I always want to introduce this because I feel like where 
I was born has a very important role of defining who I am. And now I am in Bangkok. So if you look at my life path, I'm always moving southward and westward. So before I was in Bangkok, I was in Hong Kong, and I feel like I'm moving more and more into the tropical area. And I think another thing that's very easy to connect with people is through language. So I speak Mandarin, Hokkien, Cantonese. I've learned Japanese, Spanish, Russian, and now I'm also learning Thai. So I think one thing that I really, um, how to say, um, that I realized about myself is that at a period of time, whenever um, I'm always very busy, I'm a workaholic. But whenever I'm not working, I always ask myself, okay, so what is the first thing that come into my mind? What is something that I want to spend my time on without thinking of, you know, return of. Uh, for example, when when we're working, we're expecting something in return for ourselves, but. What is something that I always just want to dive into without any expectation of return, and that is language. That is learning language. So yeah, I found it. You know, the location and also language. Those two things. Um, no matter who you are, um, whenever you are listening to this, I hope that these two things can connect us, can shorten our distance immediately. Great, great. I want to ask you so many questions now, but the first one I think let's start from the very beginning is. So you said your hometown, so like where you're from, really defines who you are. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, sure. So when I was young, I lived in the village most of the time because my parents they are working in the city and they don't have any time to take care of me. I was oh, I either you know make myself instant noodle. Every day in the daytime, or I go back to my village and then being taken care by my grandparents. So when I was in the village, when I was growing up there, everything surrounded by me are you know Hokkien culture. So we speak Hokkien or Minnan dialect. We eat very similar food with people from Taiwan, of course. And the funny thing is that we don't have TV signal. From mainland China side, we can only receive TV signal from Taiwanese side. And the thing is that most of the villagers live in the same village with me. They don't speak Mandarin; they only speak Hokkien. So even watching the the mainland Chinese TV for them is very very painful because it takes time for them to adapt to the language and also to understand the context. So I realized this when I was working in intercultural education. I have a deeper understanding, but I think the seed was planted at that time. You know, receiving, growing in two different cultures. And culturally, in terms of language, food, architecture, etc., etc., I noticed that I'm somehow closer to people from Taiwan than, let's say, people from northern China, like Beijing, etc., etc. Because I watched the same cartoon with them, I ate the same food with them, we speak same language. So at that time, when I grow up, I moved to another city called Guangzhou, and I study. You know, I got. My bachelor degree there, and and then it was at that time there were a lot of online discussion. There are a lot of misunderstanding between the mainland Chinese side and Taiwanese side. You know, people are not taking time to learn about each other, but instead they're being very judgmental about each other. They're criticizing each other. They're blaming each other all the time. So because I feel 
like I grew up with these two culture within me. I understand both sides. So I always thinking why people are not happy with each other. I'm very happy. I I know you know everything from the Taiwanese side, but I also understand everything from the mainland China side. But they are fighting among each other. So I felt confused. But then later on, when I was in Hong Kong, when I was working in this most amazing social enterprise called Intercultural Education, I think I gradually. Found my answer. So, what is the answer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,、um, I think it's not the whole picture of the answer, but just one. Maybe just、um, I gradually draw the picture of the answer, and and I think that it's very similar to all the conflicts and all the misunderstanding, regardless of you know where you're from. It's also similar to the conflicts between our generation and our parents' generation, etc., etc. So I think, in summary, for me, all the conflicts, all the misunderstanding comes from you know this human's mindset of we want to jump into the conclusion, we want to take the shortcut, we want to. Just release our dissatisfaction, our negative feeling as soon as possible, without you know just holding our thinking and then ask ourselves why do we think in this way and why the other part doesn't behave the way that we expect. So I think it's really relate to not being listen, not listened without judgment, and having a certain expectation of the other party. So let me also elaborate. Bit more about my observation among family relationship is very similar of all the relationship in the world, right? So parents have a certain expectation of their children how they want them to, you know, be successful, get a good degree, get a good job, and have a happy family. And then the children has their own expectation of their life. You know, I want to explore the world. I want to. See the world. I don't want to just listen to my parents. So then, that's where the conflict starts, right? And then these two sides, instead of listen to each other and think about for the children, think about why my parents want me to do this, and think about what's their intention, right? So for the parents, their intention is always fundamental. It's always about the happiness and healthness of their children. And in order to get that, to do that. The way that I see it, based on their generations of knowledge, is to get a good job, to get a good degree, and have a happy family. So that's the way that they want to protect their children. But then the children didn't think in this way. They didn't see the intention of parents. They only see how they communicate the message, and that's where the misunderstanding starts, right? And then for the parents, they didn't also see their own intention. They just want to put this expectation. On the children, and when the children can't fulfill their expectation, they didn't take time to think why they don't behave the way I expect, you know. And then the both sides they just jump into judgmental, you know, back and forth among each other. So I think it's where I started to learn about, you know, whenever there's misunderstanding, there's conflicts. Don't stop at how the message was communicated, and look into. What are the intentions from both sides?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, super interesting. It's really like diving deeper into understanding why people say that or behave like this. But it's something that I guess people don't do naturally. So it's great that you learn that, but you do it naturally now. So I know the example you just mentioned is 
close to your heart. <laughs> I mean, about parents' expectation and, and children' expectation, because it's something that you were affected by, right, when you were growing up. Mm, correct, correct. Yeah, so maybe just to... Yeah, it also happens to me. I also learn from my experience. When I was in university, I, you know, I the whole world just opened up for me. And so the situation was that in China, usually, averagely for the first 18 years of our lives, you don't think about anything else other than get to uh, university. So that's what our parents' generation keep telling us, you know, you need to get to a university, otherwise your life is screwed. So that's why we have this huge pressure of university entrance exam and Our life was very, very simple and very, very focused. There's nothing, no enough other space to think about anything else because we usually wake up at six and go to the school before 7.30 and finish all the classes at 5 p.m. But in the evening, there's also this study hour where you don't have courses, but you just need to finish all the homework and together with all your classmates. And that usually ends around 9.30, almost 10 p.m. So we don't usually have a lot of time to think our life beyond just getting into a uh, university. So when I was um, got a notification, you know, like, oh, I have a university to go to. Yay. I feel like, okay. So <laughs> uh, to many of us, that notification is very similar to the end of fairy tale, where you usually hear that whoever in the fairy tale uh, lived happy life ever after. But then that was not the case, right? That was actually just the beginning of our life. That's just when we start to think about how we want to spend our life. How do we want to live our life? So I was having that thought as well. How would I want to see myself 10 years time, you know, after graduating from university, etc., etc. So I started to just dive into many opportunities in the campus. I want to try as many as possible. I try, you know, those typical student union and different student organizations. And I ended up in ISAC, which is the world largest student organization. At that time, I was, you know, just exposed into this so many young people from different countries, different continent, different cultural backgrounds. They have different understanding of world, different understanding of how they want to live their life. And I was so amazed. And I never thought of life could be, life have so many possibilities. So I was just spending my time doing Isaac stuff all the time. And then my father noticed that and we had a huge fight. <laughs> Because his main reason was that, you know, why are you so silly? Why are you doing this? Isaac is not paying you. Why are you doing this voluntarily, voluntary work? You should study harder. You should, you know, do this paid, either paid internship or paid job to gain more experience and get more return. So we had a lot of fight. And at that time, I don't understand why he doesn't play the supportive role because um, he's always playing a very supportive role of me. You know, a lot of people doesn't approve his decision of allowing me to get a master degree around him, but he actually fought for me. So he has been always a supportive role of me. But at that period of time, we have so many fights because he doesn't understand why I'm doing work without any return. And I don't understand why he changed his attitude, why he becomes so 
conservative, why he became so disapproval of anything that I'm trying to do for myself. But now I think I get to understand his perspective. He was trying to protect me. He was trying to, you know, use his own perspective of world, and I get to reflect a little bit more. You know, in his generation, in his life, a lot of things. If you don't get return on your investment, he doesn't feel secure enough. So he was trying in his way to protect me. But then it was at that time I realized how important it is to have this long-term and visional thinking for our own life, because not being, you know,、um, not thinking to. Feel like you obliged to get return on your time investment or resources investment in a very short period of time can actually help us to make decision that would be benefit for us in long term perspective. So you realized a lot of things during your bachelor in Guangzhou. Now I think it's great that you had somehow you you found the power to you know explore and ask yourself these questions. You know, like what do I want to become in ten years? I mean, for me, I, I never asked this question until I was like twenty four, twenty five, and you also, yeah, like when you speak about long term vision, is it something you also started to think about? I mean, was like because after Guangzhou, you went to study masters in Hong Kong, so Hong Kong was part of your plan, right? Yes. Well,、um, how to say? I chose to study English and Chinese translation. When I was eighteen, and you know, I was asking a lot of family members what subjects should I choose because I have no clue, and a lot of them suggest English and Chinese translation because, from their perspective, that was something that I would get a high-paid job when I graduate. Something that, from their perspective, it would be a good return on investment if I, you know, spend four years for a bachelor degree. But then the first class I remember vividly in the university when I was, you know, still eighteen,、um, the teacher told us like, you have to study harder, extra harder compared to your senior schoolmates or all the other translators and interpreters in the job market because they are this thing called machine translation that are coming up. We don't know what the future of that will be like, but you have to work. Harder than your previous students, so I didn't think that much about machine translation at that time. But I think the seed was also planted. And when I was studying, and、um, when I was in, in my four years of uni, I tried a lot of student organization, including ISAC, and I've started my model APAC, which is very similar to model United Nations, but model APAC focused more in Asia Pacific and more on economy, economic development. And I started my school chapters, and then I tried different things. But then, when I w- was about to graduate, I also have this question to myself: What's next? So I try to apply for jobs. I try to see different job opportunities. But to be honest, I think I wasn't having a very pleasant experience. And at that time. I think I didn't get a lot of people to recognize my unmainstream behavior or unmainstream thinking, and I was also given this opportunity to study in Hong Kong because of my father's support. And I also like the study of translation and interpretation because I later noticed that it actually gives me a lot of soft skills. 
we are asked to prepare different topics every week for the conference. So in order to speak like an expert for that conference, I mean the mock conference, of course, we have to dive into a certain topic every week. So I noticed that I really like, you know, not just focusing on one industry, but jumping between industry. And then also being able to absorb as much information as possible in order to output it in the way that people think that we speak like an expert. So I really love that experience. So I decided, okay, let's do another year of master degree and let's see what life will take me. And, and I remember right now, actually at that time, we were discussing about the concept of platform. You know, sometimes when we think about either career development or our life development, it's important for us to level up ourselves into different platforms because sometimes it's not because of our capability or capacity. It's because we're not exposed to a certain platform. Um, yeah, so that's why I decided to go to Hong Kong. So where did life bring you in Hong Kong? <laughs> yeah, so I think Hong Kong is where a lot of dots were connected When I was in Hong Kong for the first half of the year, you know, I felt like I was 18 again. So when I was 22, I moved to Hong Kong. But then the first half of the year, I feel like I was 18 again because the whole world just opened up to me again. Well, the thing was that in China, a lot of opportunities, uh, a lot of connections within China and outside of China was very restricted. But in Hong Kong, I felt like there were no barriers Everything that I can find, I try to absorb it. I was like a sponge, you know? So I try to seize all the opportunities I can find, try to learn as much as I can. And also because I study English and Chinese and Hong Kong is a perfect bilingual place for me to explore and try different things. So I, I would spend time in the campus going through all the posters, all the seminar, all the workshop and took notes, things I want to participate And one of the life-changing seminar uh, or lecture that I attended was moderated by Freddie. He was one of the most important life person for this life-changing experience. So at that time, Freddie was, you know, moderating and emceeing an event about social innovation. And that was just mind-blowing to me. It was the first time I heard this concept of social innovation and I... So during the whole discussion, I told myself, after this, I have to speak to this moderator. He's so inspiring and he's just exactly something that I can imagine myself to be in the future. So I spoke to him and the way I approached him was that, you know, I'm studying PolyU and I'm studying linguistics, English and Chinese translation. And, you know, I'm very happy to volunteer my time. Let me know how can I help. And then he connected me with Intercultural Education, which was the most awesome social enterprises in the world. And I was helping out them with some of their training, workshop. And most of the time it's bilingual because they were doing some social innovation trip, bringing a lot of Mandarin speakers to different corners of Hong Kong and introduce to them what is social innovation, what are some very interesting people in Hong Kong around social innovation. And I remember very vividly, there was one experience I was being the translator for Cesar Harada. He is like, a, like, I was, I, yeah, even till now, I can't believe I did that. 
is a super inspiring TED Talk speaker, and he was showing our participants around his space called Maker Bay, and I was translating it to him, and that was one of the best experience I had in my life. So, right. And when I was in Hong Kong, you know, apart from just immerse myself to different opportunities and learning as much as I can about social innovation, about youth development, I also have my study, right? So I put. So if you look, use economic terms to look at how I made my decision. The opportunity cost was that I didn't spend a lot of time for my study. Directly, because at that time a lot of my classmates was in the language lab. They're sitting in front of the laptop,、um, listen to a recorded speech, and then click pause and then try to interpret, and then record their interpretation. And later on, they will play back their interpretation and try to do the analysis of how well they interpreted. So I didn't spend a lot of time to do that homework, but instead I spent a lot of time trying to use my skills, introduce the different things, different concept to people speak different language. So I feel like I somehow practice interpreting and translation in a more practical way, and then I think that leads me to you know something that I felt,、um, how to say, I felt. Unexpected, because at the end of the first semester in Hong Kong, we were having an exam, and in order to get into the interpreter class, it was quite competitive. Because I think for the whole year we have sixty to eighty students, but we will only have twenty students to get to the interpreter class. The rest will go to translator class. And then the benefit of going to interpreter class is to be able to have a trip to UNSCAP. To join their annual meeting and to observe the conference, so everyone was so motivated to go to the interpreter class, and everyone was just working so hard, you know, practicing their interpreting and trying their best. So I remember I was very, very nervous during the final exam because I didn't spend as much time as other people sitting in front of the language lab and doing practice. I was just, you know. Out there and just you know volunteering my time and do things that I enjoy, but then unexpectedly I got into the interpreter class and I also got the chance to come to the UNSCAB and observe their annual meeting. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed, you know, because like from your bachelor to masters, you were always doing so many things, you know, like now that you know because now you know it sounds so easy when you say it, but. I imagine, like, if we just put yourself in your shoes, there you don't know what exists, you don't know what you're supposed to do. You're doing this, but you're not sure if you you're gonna get a job in the future. But I don't know. For me, you still go. You know, you still move forward, and all these things. And you know, you meet these people, and、uh, many people would not even speak to them, but you still go. No, for me, it's super. <laughs> I mean, it's a word we use all the time, but it's super entrepreneurial. Yeah, and. and I mean, I know that during this conference that you met Savi, which is another very important person in your journey, and yeah, for me, it's I don't know, it's you know, your life is a succession of not so random meetings because you provoked it. Yeah, you you worked hard for for these meetings, even though you didn't know you were going to meet them. So, who was Savi in this conference, and how did you approach him? Yeah, that's a.、Uh That's a very good question. So when I got the chance to attend this UN conference, 
And I felt like I noticed that in the conference, a lot of my classmates were taking photos and then, you know, saying that, oh, um, I'm the UN, yay, and that's it. Um, I mean, they work very hard. They're trying to uh, take notes of the conference and they try to finish the homework that the teacher assigned to them, which is to analyze the performance of the official interpreter. But for me, I feel like if I just do that, I will definitely miss out a huge opportunity. So I asked myself this question. At the end of this three-day conference, what could be my biggest takeaway? So I went to the participants list and I tried to see who is in the room. So I noticed a very familiar name. Um, so he is a representative of Isaac, even though I don't know that person at the time, but because I have Isaac experience and also because I'm always think about how to shorten distance between me and the person I'm, I want to know. So I start with, you know, telling the person, oh, I'm also an ISAC, or I'm an ISAC alumni. And I try to say, you know, who I know from ISAC based on my assumption that the person that could know. And apparently we have a lot of mutual friends. So we got to know each other a little bit and chat. And I mean, of course, he was not the only person I chatted with. There were a lot of other network civil society organizations and tried to say hi. But then because of this common experience, because of Isaac, I got to speak to this person a little bit more. And we leave each other contact. Um, so I remember, you know, we didn't speak much afterwards. We just you know, just at each other on Facebook. But then when I graduated from my master program, I posted on my Facebook. And then at that time, I was also doing job hunting in Hong Kong. Honestly, I was very, very depressed. Very, very depressed. Because, you know, the whole world opened up for me when I was 18 and I realized my world gets bigger. And the whole world opened up for me again when I was 22, 23, my world gets bigger. And... The moment I graduated, I realized my world narrowed and shrank to this tiny little own space. The reason why was that, you know, remember I was sharing that, you know, through my whole bachelor and master life, I've always amazed by how many possible ways people can live their life, right? But then when I graduated, I got a job in an um, architecture firm doing their in-house translator and also their like, administrative work. I realized, I was telling myself, is that it? Is that all of my life? All of the time I was exploring different possibilities of life. And now I am ended up working as a translator for architecture company and no one seems to care what's going on with the world. And so I was very, very depressed at that time. And then one day, I remember Savi shared this job opportunity to me and asked me to apply. It was about youth development through social entrepreneurship and innovation. And also the position required a person that can speak English and Chinese. So I feel like that was something that I didn't, I wasn't aware, but I have been prepared for this moment through my whole life. Wow. You you joined ISEC in Guangzhou, but a bit randomly, you know, just to explore, but it's ultimately the bridge between you and Savi, you know, like, I don't know how many years later. I think it's beautiful. And 
Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I wonder what. So yeah, I want to know also what throughout all the years in Guangzhou, Hong Kong, what gives you this strength to ask yourself all these questions? Because you know, you I, I mean, I guess you are in this architecture uh, uh, architecture <laughs> firm. Uh, I mean, I guess you could stay there your whole life you didn't want to you ask yourself the questions and you always want to meet people even though maybe your father didn't you know approve you going to ISEC and stuff what gave you the strength to continue exploring like this oh hmm. that's a that's a very good question um yeah I never actually think about that in this way you know the strength um it's more like um Yeah, what's the strength? I guess it's just about, you know, um, le- mm. well, I need to think about it. Um, because there's too many things in my head and I feel like I want to try to organize in the way that it's um, easier to, to, to be understood. Um, so last year, I met a very interesting person and she has like this term she told me this term I, i didn't actually think about it before but she used this term and i felt like it's very very important um so she say it's she used this term called third person perspective and today i was reading about behavioral economies and there's a very interesting concept called two self so essentially i feel like there's this awakening time when you realize You're not just a person who is just experience a moment. You also have a third person perspective, trying to think, taking yourself from the moment and then to think long term and also reflect on what happened in the past. So I think it comes from my good friend since I was born, which is my mom. So she, she has been a very good listener throughout my whole life. She never judged my behavior. She just asked me how, is, how I feel. She just, you know, she just wants to understand my perspective. Not because she doesn't want... She, she also have a, has a certain expectation of how I should spend my life. But then she always respects me. She always feel like I, she trusted me, my decision. She thinks that I'm capable to handle my own things. So this unconditional trust and this very safe space for me to share my feeling, my thinking. So when I was 18, when I left home, so I was alone. She was not around. I don't have a person to bounce back idea, to think. So I think it was at that time I have this third person view, third person self, that I try to have someone who I can have self-conversation with in my head. So whenever I felt You know, I'm not happy with today's situation. I ask myself, okay, so what happened today? Why did I not feeling happy? Why, why, why I was angry? Or why did I just thoroughly enjoy that experience? So I think it's, hmm, instead of saying strength, I would say that it's more about, I developed this third person perspective that, um, well, that this third person, of course, gave me strength, but most importantly is a very good facilitator, a very good person who is always there, listen to me without any judgment, of course, and also just curious and trying to understand my feeling and my perspective. 
Mm. So it's this third person who guided you through all the years. And it's funny, so you are a facilitator in real life, but also in <laughs> inside. And also, I just want to say that what I read today, and I think it's super fascinating. I haven't really digged deeper into it. So just based from my reading today, you know, you have this two self. Um, everyone has two self. One is a doer. One is a planner, right? The doer always wants to enjoy the moment. Um, so a very... Very famous psychological experiment was an Oreo experiment. So basically, um, you know, there's a, a scientist that put a kid in a room and put an Oreo in front of the kid and say that if you don't touch it after 15 minutes, you will get three Oreos, right? But you don't have to do that. As whenever you want the Oreo, just ring the bell. We will come in and you can eat the the Oreo. So. The two self, essentially the doer wants to have the Oreo, but the planner, because um, the planner think, the planner wants to wait for 15 minutes so you can enjoy three Oreos instead of one. So you always have this doer and planner within ourselves. It's more about who do you want, which one of yourself that you want to put effort on. And the thing is that the perfect model between doer and planner is not have them as a peer, but have hierarchy between them, right? The doer want to satisfy our sense, our feeling at the moment, but the planner always think long-term. So have your planner as the boss of the doer. So whenever the doer is trying to do something, the planner has made the decision. Whether you want to eat the Oreo now or not, let the planner make the decision and the doer will you know, fulfill that requirement. So I would say that it's such an amazing read that I have today. You know, I get to know myself a little bit more through this concept. And I didn't know that before that it's actually, you know, a behavioral economy thing that, you know, we all have our two selves in ourselves. One is focusing on short-term satisfaction. The other is looking for long-term benefits. I feel like you've always managed to focus on the long-term benefits Yes, I think, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I mean, even if it's long term in the short term, you know, because you mentioned you were in this UNSCAP conference, but you thought about, okay, what are the three takeaways I want to have? And it's not long term. I mean, it's like in, in two days, right? But it's still planning what you're going to do. And yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed by your, your future thinking mindset. Yeah, I just want to add another point here. Um, so I, the more I get to know about psychology and also the first time I heard about this concept was from Till, which is another very important person in my life. He's the general manager of intercultural education. So what he shared with me was that, you know, the way how we think is also like a muscle in our brain. You know, like how we train, we do exercise to build up our body, to make ourselves healthier. It's the same with our brain, with our mindset. So the way how we want to think, it could also be learned. It's not, we're not just born with a certain way of thinking. So it depends on how much we want ourselves to change or how we want ourselves to think. We can also just train ourselves and practice it. How do you want to think, Linka? <laughs> <laughs> Well, long term. 
cool. Um, yeah, so coming back to this moment where Savvy gave you this, I mean, I don't know if he gave you the job, but <laughs> at least shared with you the, the job offer. Um, so yeah, basically you joined. You've been in the UNDP team for a long time now, three years and a half. And your official title is Youth Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship Consultant, which is very, very fancy and complicated. Uh, I mean, it's not that complicated, but how would you describe what you do in maybe with different concepts or different words? Mm. Yeah, I think just to give analogy, I think what I'm doing is most of the time, you know, not on the tip of iceberg, but underneath the tip of iceberg. So the thing is that I felt like there are a lot of people say this to me, you know, oh, you went just organized conference one after another, but what exactly do they try to make change, right? Um, and, I, and I started to ask myself, like, why people perceive the work of UN like that? And I think it's because those things behind conference, the things that we try to achieve is actually underneath below the tip of iceberg. Of course, because the conference is the most visual things that everyone can see. So that feels like, oh, that's basically what UN does every day. But actually, I think what I'm doing, what our team are doing, it's below the tip of iceberg. So I'll tell you why. Because the thing is that, you know, we're in the Asia Pacific office, right? We're actually not at the front line of doing activity or serving people directly. We are supporting the national office for them to fulfill that. So what we are doing is from the Asia Pacific office, supporting country office to support young people in the area of social entrepreneurship and innovation. And the reason why we're doing this from my perspective was because that, you know, I personally benefit a lot from being entrepreneurial and learning more about social entrepreneurship and innovation. And of course, there's no single solution that we can save all the challenges and issues in the world, right? Like if you take a look at all the challenges in the world and make it as a huge cake, no one can eat the whole cake by themselves, Everyone needs to take a bite of the cake so then we can solve the issues all together. And we just focus on youth and we just focus on entrepreneurship and innovation. So a few things I really love about entrepreneurship and innovation was that it's always, you know, solutions oriented. A lot of time people just like to complain, you know, they're not being treated equally or fairly or they're the victim but then entrepreneurship changed the way how we think. We focus more on the solutions. We focus more on positiveness instead of just lock or trap ourselves in this negative feeling. And then also I feel like... Um, mm, um, yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you describe a bit what you do every day? Oh, okay. Like typical day in Ninka's life? My typical day, so, well, I um, usually, so I wake up usually between 7.30 to 8.30. It varies because it depends on how, how late I sleep the night before. So I try to build this 
muscle memory. The first thing I would do in the morning is to connect my phone with Bluetooth and turn on my podcast and listen to the podcast. So while I'm brushing my teeth, changing my clothes, preparing to work, I have this chunk of time when I can just absorb information or knowledge. And then I will start my work. Um, well, these days it's a little bit different because my calendar is always full. So I don't get to decide how I want to spend my day as much as I want. But I try to keep my morning as my, you know, um, writing and putting things together, like outputting time at work. And in the afternoon, it's more about meeting or um, training, workshop. Um, well, sometimes that lasts till the evening. <laughs> but one thing that I would try not to compromise is my sports time. I try to allocate a certain period of time every day to exercise, to not think about work, just focus myself. It's my time. It's my, me, myself, Linka time. You know, because I think that's very, very important. We are through the sports, no distraction from the outside. Our body is also giving our mind a message that, you know, you are being taken care of. Cool. Yeah, I like how you try as much as possible to put more, more like focus time in the morning and less focus time, like meetings and stuff in the afternoon. Even though these days it's impossible. <laughs> uh, so you stayed so many years now with this project why did you stay so long in this project and what is the impact you want to have with this project um i think very important part of my motivation staying this project is that i think all of us can see impact and change from our work and the thing is that because this project this initiative youth collab are giving us so much space to create to also let us, you know, let us decide how we want to create change, how we want to create impact. The thing is that for me, I value a lot on how I can create in my workplace because I think a lot of entrepreneurial people are like me, you know, we don't want to sit and listen to people about what should be done or just, you know, replicate other people's work. We want to create our own things. We have our own idea, our solutions, right? So I think that's, that's very, very important. And Youth Collab is such a, you know, it's amazing that it's not very fixed. It's not strictly defined. It's still growing, you know. There's so much space to create impact within the Youth Collab space. So what I want to see the change, you know, after one day, if I leave it, is that, Um, I think because of my personal experience of, you know, this entrepreneurial experience, I really want to give back. I want every young people to have this way of thinking, to understand that we don't have to be entrepreneur to be entrepreneurial. We can use entrepreneurship mindset for our life development. And um, since you love thinking about the future, <laughs> how do you want people to remember you and to know you for? Mm, 
Right. So that's a, also a question that I also ask myself many times. I know. I think <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I really hope that people can remember me whenever they feel unsure, they feel that they need a boost of bravery and encouragement. I can be a person that they feel like, okay, she did that, so can I? I want to be that. I want to be remembered like that. I want to be a dose of encouragement for other people, and I think. Also, I want to spread kindness. I want to spread, you know, this way of thinking that we can always create a safe space for each other. We can always suspend judgment, which is a mover's rule. <laughs>、um, always suspend our judgment, and we can always, you know, at one point of time, let go of our personal insecurity, our personal negative feeling, and focus on a greater cause. Focus more on how we can contribute to other people. I feel like you're already. Spreading so much kindness and also showing a lot to people that, okay, I'm doing this. So you're also capable of doing this. So what's what's next for you? I mean, what's preventing you from? How do you see this objective being amplified for yourself? Um, right. That's a very good question. I think that's something that um. We are doing together through the Movers program, and I felt very, very proud. You know, when、um, I remember it was our colleague、uh, told us that they've interacted with Movers, and then they use this term. They say that they are very Movers. You know, they're very understanding. They're very empathetical and very positive. So I think we are actually doing this together,、um, thanks to. You, my twin, <laughs> we're amplifying this together. You know, spreading kindness through Movers program, spreading entrepreneurship thinking through Movers program.、Um, yeah, I think we're doing this. Do you want to pitch quickly? What is the Movers program? <laughs> <laughs> yes.、Um, so for those who are listening to this, I highly encourage you to check out the Movers program. You can just. Input bit dot ly slash join the movers. Correct? No, 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 no. It's.、Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you knew it by heart. No, it's、uh, bit dot ly slash join with a big J movers with a big M. Okay. Yes. So slash bit dot ly slash capital J join and capital M movers. Um, so, what we are hoping to、um, give through the Movers program is that you get to understand what is SDGs, what is entrepreneurship mindset. But that's just the first step. We also hope that through the Movers program, you get to learn a little bit more about the details of different sustainable development goals and also the process of innovation of、um, entrepreneurship. And also at the same time, give you more training opportunity to look into different digital skills, different life skills. So the reason why the Movers was designed in this way, why we want to、um, we want to introduce SDGs, is very aligned with our thinking. You know, how can we take ourselves out from our daily life and think about the future of humanity, and how can we connect ourselves, our future, with the whole human future, and then. From there, we think about individuals, 
reflections of how entrepreneurial we are and do we believe in it and if we do where can we start so yeah check it out uh join the movers program and we will see you there yes join movers everyone uh <laughs> do you need to go in two minutes sharp oh is, is this part of the recording yeah i can cut it Uh, giver, I, I heard hashtag mover. <laughs> well, slash mover. <laughs> And um, hashtag positive lifestyle, positive life, positive well-being, positive mindset. Um, one last um, hashtag uh, philosopher plus action takers. Wow, that's a good summary as well of the one-hour conversation. Cool. And yeah, just quickly, where can people find you, Miss Kaylin? Oh, right. Hmm. That's a very good question. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, but you have to search me K-E-L-I-N and bracket Linka. Or you can find me on Instagram, Linka. Um, actually, I don't remember what's my Instagram name, but I think if you follow Lifeline, you probably will yeah, see that I'm tagged there. <laughs> so yeah, follow Lifeline podcast, Facebook page, and Instagram page. Yay. Um, <laughs> cool. I let you go, Linka. Thank you so much, Shishini, uh, as my ancestor used to say. Yay. Um, yeah, Merci nice beaucoup. Day. Merci. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the story of Linka. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with your friends to help Linka be a dose of inspiration for even more people. In the next episode, you'll be meeting Valentine, a social entrepreneur who actually never thought that she could be a social entrepreneur herself. She is on a mission to help as many people as possible to be able to speak up. Here is an extract and see you next time. And I really discovered a new universe for me. I didn't know this ecosystem, these people. And I was very glad to meet people who believed in what they do every day. Mm -hmm. They just believe in themselves and, and their actions are not cynical about their work. I was really, yeah, stunned by that. And I also see that people were normal, <laughs> like <laughs> social entrepreneurs were normal people. And that is great because in my head, there was Steve Jobs and only Steve Jobs. So in my mind, it was impossible to be an entrepreneur if you don't have a lot of technical background, if you're not known mm. or something. So that was great to meet some real people and people who were really authentic. So I think this was a, like a... <laughs> I don't know. Like the aha moment. Exactly. Yeah. Et ça fait tilt, as we said in French. <laughs>